0: Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week, and it is September the 1st, 2016. What's going on in the pool world? Well, guess what? Turning Stone is now uh, completed. The Turning Stone event in Verona, New York, and Mr. Jason Shaw walked away undefeated. Look at that. Congratulations to Mr. Shaw for an outstanding run through that field. Uh, That was not an easy task. I'm absolutely certain of it. Great pool. And uh, matter of fact, we decided to talk to him a little bit more about it. So if you stick around, we're going to have Jason Shaw on a little bit later on in the show with uh, Mr. Mark Cantrell to talk about uh, his win and some of the different aspects coming up Uh, of the Moscone Cup points and things like that so yeah you don't want to miss that we also got to send out some congratulations to the winners out at the U.S. Bar Table Championship that just finished up in Vegas (whistles) Mr. Shane Van Boney, no surprise there he took the eight ball title that was probably pretty uh, gratifying for him that was one of the titles that he has yet to earn so congrats to Mr. Shane and congrats to Justin Bergman. You know, we were just talking about him last week and the week before. Wondering, you know, when he was going to get in on the points there. And he just did, taking the 9-ball and the 10-ball title out in Vegas on the bar tables. We also want to congratulate uh, the lady winners out there. Jessica Federas, she took the 10-ball uh, title in the ladies' division. And uh, Rebecca Wagner, wow. She took the 8-ball title and the nine ball title and the all around for the ladies so congrats big time to Rebecca Wagner for that that was uh, some outstanding pool there for sure so yeah congrats to all the winners out there also got to give you uh, an early warning Accustats has announced their uh, make it happen event coming up here in November it's the eight ball event and they've picked oh I think it's six of the best players that you've ever seen on the planet Shane Van Boning, Darren Appleton, Jason Shaw, Rodney Morris, Corey Duell and John Mora. They're going to be getting together November the 17th through the 20th out at Sandcastle Billiards in uh, in New Jersey, Edison, New Jersey. And uh, they're going to battle it out. It's going to be a great event as always is with AccuStats, you guys mark that on your calendar, November the 17th to the 20th. That'll be right after we find out who the final Moscone Cup team members for the USA are going to be, because uh, the, the last qualifying event is the 5th of November. So you'll be wanting to watch that. Keep your eyes open for the details. So that's your headlines for this week. Um, Like I said stick around we're going to get with Jason Shaw in just a second here talk about some good stuff and Right after that we're going to give you chapters 13 and 14 of Willie Hoppe's book 30 years of billiards Originally published in 1925, so we'll be right back after this
1: Welcome back to American Billion Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report. I'm your host, Mark Cantrell. And uh, this week, there's been so many things that have gone on over the last week. Uh, with We had the China Open, Turning Stone, and the U.S. Bar Table Championship all kind of colliding, uh, as I said before. And uh, what I decided is we've got the man of the moment. Jason Shaw, on the line with us. How you doing, Jason? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I, I I figured we'd talk to you because I can understand you better than I can understand uh, Dave Bond. so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Uh, you, you, had a, you had a good showing there at Turning Stone Again, that's what, five? You won four out of the last five, Turning storms? Yeah, four out of the last five, yeah. Um, it's been playing good, and Putting in a lot of practice and been working out a lot lately. i Done started a new little workout, just try and work out like two hours every day in practice and eat good and stuff like that. So it's obviously working. See that. See, stone is. I like, know. technically, it's a just tour event, and it's. Uh, but it has some serious complications. Competitors in that thing. It's not yeah. a to win that. You've got all kinds no. of people in there. To win it four out of five is amazing. Yeah, you And and the thing is as well, you got to go. Well, like, got to put up with a lot of crap because of the the rack and the balls for your opponent and stuff like that. You know what I mean? You got to keep checking the rack and keep like make sure that your opponent's giving you a good rack. And then if it doesn't get a good rack, then you get into a little bit of a no, not argument, but you start having wubs, you know what I mean. So you're like taking off your game a little bit. Yeah, there's been a lot of people talking about that uh, recently. Uh, one game, it was uh, it, 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 all told. This is from uh, so Ferdinandsy Billiards. All told, there was eleven games played. So you know, somebody What is it? It must have been uh, what nine eight or something. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, no. Sorry, nine eight. Um, what was it? It was a race to nine, wasn't it? it was a race to well, one. the final race to thirteen. The yeah, final was race to thirteen, and the other rounds were race to nine. Race to nine. Okay. So it must have been uh, nine to three. Uh, and, but it took two hours because of the racket issues. Yeah, that happens. You know that it's just. just
0: total. It let me get involved
1: sometimes. Is there? Uh, do you think it should? Is there a way to change it, or well, the... actually, he's 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 had it the same for a long time, and there's there's not many arguments with players or anything like that. There's only a select few that it happens with. You know what I mean? Um, but other than that, all the other matches are pretty good. Sometimes, listen, sometimes the tables just don't rack, You know what I mean? New cloth, new balls, new exactly. spot on the table. Everything is hard, man. You know, they've got to give it time for the balls to settle in. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. Because after you have, like, say, say maybe after you had like 30, 30 racks on the table, well, the balls, you're gonna keep racking the balls in the same spot. They're gonna, they're, eventually, they're gonna sit tight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's the problem on some tables, but just some tables in general just don't that good. You know what I mean? So. Did did you see uh did you see what uh, happened with uh, Donnie Mills and Mike Duchenne?
0: Yeah, I
1: seen that I, I wasn't I wasn't there. I came in when it was at the end of the match, I was away sort of doing my own thing before I came back to play. Um but I seen the end of it and I knew what happened. I think it it is what it is, you know, they wanted I knew that would go on when they played each other if they did the two of them reckoned. Like they're always, sort of, uh, seem to have issues. Um, well, do you see, Zungland, you know, Mike Zoglin, that is. Yeah. He, he said, "If you can't resolve it, then we'll put a racker in for you. We'll have some yeah. revenge." Right. Well, you both paying fifty dollars each. Yeah. So <laughs> I, listen, it, listen, he's just trying to, he's just trying to give them a little bit of trouble because he's making Bill his life hard over having to come all the way down there and it's the same tournament and it's the same guy every time. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's why I think Mike just had enough, you know. So listen, in there. and it worked out better because then there was sorta of no argument. Just get up and break, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh well so it was, yeah they they you, know, you can't argue anymore, can you? I mean you no, it's over nothing, with, you know. Nothing else you can do. Uh, but you, you you ended up winning, and uh, you, had to, you had to beat core twice. Um, yeah, I played her in, in the hot seat, um, and then in the final. Right, she went on. She You beat her in the hot seat, and then for the hot seat match. Then she beat yeah. Earl, and uh, then came back from there to play in the final. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to her yesterday, actually. I was just talking. she got a lot of respect for you. Um, yeah, I know that. She, i got a lot of respect for her as well. I know how good she is. She she, she said to me after the match, and obviously after we were having something to eat and stuff like that, and she said to me as well, you know, I get on good with her. Yeah, she She said, uh, she told me, she said, he's just come along so far over the last year or so, in every area, you know, it's, it, it's unbelievable how, how great he plays now. And uh, it got to the, the conversation, basically, I, I I said, you know, he's not he's not as erratic as he used to be. I mean, you're still mm-hmm. last, and you're still excited to watch. But it seems like you've calmed down. And Karen and I both agreed that Something's happened to you. You're still excited and fast, but you calmed down somehow. Yeah. That's uh, j- just done you a lot of good. Are you, are you, did you consciously do that, or is that something that just having a wife and kids now? No, that's something I've been working on over the last year. Obviously, my temperament and uh, just staying calm and composing myself and stop rushing shots because only rushing those shots and playing a little bit quicker, I'm only punishing myself. I'm losing matches or chucking away titles because of it, you know, or maybe taking rushing a shot too quickly and it cost me like three, four, five games. Um, So, just sort of took a little different approach to playing, taking my time, studying the table a little bit more, feeling more comfortable instead of rushing some shots. Um, you so still, you still, you still, still fast though, Jase. <laughs> it's not like you yeah, slowed down. It's you not know like, it's like I'm slow, but I, I understand. I'm just slowed my pace down a little bit. You know what I mean? And maybe play more defensive shots than yeah. just going all out attack. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we and we we spoke actually the uh, the other day on. Uh, the, a little bit on the Moscone Cup points, because we'd we turn and out and, I, I, and I, afterwards, I had a conversation with somebody else, and saying, oh yeah, I spoke to Jason, and said, it's a shame that you didn't get Moscone points for that. Uh, mm-hmm. that. But in a way, you actually did. Yeah. Because the world, the WPA... Yeah, it's a WPA ranking event. So that does add points to the combined... Ranking. Yeah, I know that. That's what I was thinking, and uh, so it, it does make it. I don't. It's a, it's a lesser amount of points. It's not like you won the world ten ball or anything. Yeah, I but, wonder how many points you get for for that. I, did, I was just looking at it. They didn't add any on for me. They, they didn't. No, uh, they didn't. Yeah. Have, I need to ask Luke Richards about that. You know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Li- That's absolutely. what I'm going to do. I was I tell you who I was talking to, I was talking to uh Skiff yeah. um, uh, you you know who he is the Yeah, I know Skip yeah. And he's a WPA uh, rep, for those who don't know, he's a W North American WPA representative. And yeah. and I, I I was talking to him. He said, Well yeah, there's there's points attached to it because it is a WPA event. Yeah, I'm gonna ask uh, him about that. Yeah, and uh, so and you, you do that. If you you don't get any kind of a good answer from Luke Richards, then yeah. let me know, and i yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. But it. because um, the thing is, I'm still number one on the, the the combined list. Right, I'm looking at it right now. Um, yeah, you have got, got 172. So if I get points for that, I should be I should be getting at least 20 points for that. At least you're number one. Uh, 172 points. Mark Gray is uh, second, 152 points, and Neil San is 148 points. Now it seems yeah. like you've got a, a nice, a, a nice little distance there between you, but yeah. it doesn't take a lot to catch them up, does it? Yeah, but I've got a tournament. The last Euro Tour is on the end of the month in September, and it's in Holland, which I'm going to. So that there is the last event. You know, for the for, you know they have a European list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a combined and the World List. Well, this is the last tournament for the European list. So hopefully I can go there and do really good in that. Maybe snap it off and, and that could secure my spot, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the, um, so you, obviously you're not going to the one, if it is already up. So the next tournament yeah. is, is the Dutch Open. Yeah, the Dutch Open, I'll be playing in that. And then obviously the next tournament's after that, are the U.S. Open and the Kuwait Open which I just got an email this morning to um, say that I'm in the Kuwait Open Stage 2, so that's good. Um, Right. So I'm in Stage 2 of the Kuwait Open. I paid my entry two days ago for the U.S. Open, so I'm I'm ready to go, you know. I'm ready to... I've already done about seven months playing, and I've done amazing, and I'm still going strong right now, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, practicing hard, eating good... And just hopefully I can finish off strong. Um, yeah, there's a just, few uh, limits, you know. Uh, yeah, you were planning on, because you played in what, one, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the Euro, uh, the European combined ranking events. Yeah. You, you were said to go to Albania and something yeah. happened there. What happened there? Um, I was flying from the World Nine Bowl. To um, Greece, from Qatar to Greece to Albania, but the 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 flight that crashed in the bay airport, where well, I screwed all the flights up. So when I went to get my flight, they had cancelled the flights, and I couldn't get a flight for two days, which meant I would miss the tournament. So the only way of getting there would be to fly to England, which I went to England, and then when I was trying to get a flight from England, it was like. Um, three hours on a flight somewhere, wait two hours, then take another flight, another three hours and then had to get off and get on a bus and it was just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. um, so and I just come back from the World Nine but obviously finished fifth place and um obviously I'm playing good but I was just completely worn out and I wasn't willing to I wanted to go but I wasn't willing to do the the, the other ten, eleven hours, even though it could cost me, it was just I was so beat, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was drained from the World Nine because which was such a long trip, and uh, obviously it had to fly to England, which was like seven hour difference. So. Uh, so, you, know. you, so you, so you, you plan on going to the Dutch Open and yeah. the U.S. Open, obviously.
0: Are yeah. you going to go
1: to the Kuwait Open? Yeah, that's what I just said. There, I got an invite to go to the Kuwait Open. Um I'm I'm in stage two. So you are going then? Yeah, I am going. I am going. I'm going to the Kuwait Open. They oh, gave please. me an invite. They gave me an invite for stage two. They they the invite stage two as well. Was that stage two? The the over sixties? <laughs> 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 yeah, a little funny aren't we? Um let me see here where are you on the uh, the world rankings you're not that far out of the uh, world rankings I'm number 21 on the world rankings I'm, I've moved up so much in the world rankings without even playing in any big events no hold on I'm talking about the um, Moscone Cup world oh I think I'm rankings. about I think I'm about 5 points 5th uh, place or something like that yeah I t- let me tell I'll tell you where you're at um, I believe I can tell you where you're at we got Alvin Ocean, who's going to get picked from it, uh, most probably, looks like. Um, the only thing that's left on the world events calendar for Moscone Cup is the QA Open and the U.S. Open 9-Ball. Yeah. But you've got Alvin Ocean at 93 points, number one. And then you've got Gray, Dennis Grave and yeah. Alexander Catechist. Kev- yeah. They're tied. They're tied at fifty-three, so they're like second and third. Yeah, and and then you've got Mario He, Ricky Eminem, Francisco Ruiz Sanchez, and Jason Shaw all tied at forty points. Okay. So you're not that. I mean, one one decent showing. Either yeah. of those can definitely make the difference and bump you right up into that second third place. Well, it's call time. I'm not really too bothered about what's coming up, man. I'm just doing what I've been doing, as I said. I just keep myself to myself, go out there, work hard on my own game, and that the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys are set out, you know, like they know how many points everybody's on, and they're like sweating everybody's matches and stuff like that, you know. and For me... Shouldn't really be like that, you know what I mean? Shouldn't really be like sweating other people's matches, you know, thinking, "Oh, if this guy loses, I'm going to get in," which is fine, yeah. But don't like, don't like go out there and like people know what you're up to, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, 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 uh, and that's fine for the players, but you, so you got to understand from the the fans standpoint, whether it be the Euro stuff or the world rankings, mm-hmm. <coughs> to they get point twelve on the cup. Your yeah. fans, oh, your fans are keeping track of us. They're watching, yeah, us of course, to, of to, course. See what, to see where you're at. So of it's course. not, um, you know, so it's not necessarily. It might be a bad thing if it's the players. Yeah. Um, so, um, let me see here. Like what what else do you have coming up? Did you, you have anything, anything going on? Play the World Street Pool Championships on Monday. It's in New York. Um, yeah play the World Straight Pool Championships and then um, on the nineteenth and twentieth of September I have the Challenger Champions which is on ESPN um mean Shane Van Boon, Kevin Chen, and Alex Line. That's uh and when is that? The nineteenth and twentieth of September? Okay well, that what do you know when that will show that? Yeah, they'll show that in um, the end of December, uh, start of January, I think they said. Okay. Um, and then after that, I'm off to Europe for the Euro Tour. Um, and then I'm, I'll be back on op- October the 5th to play the Gotham City Classic from the 8th to the 10th. Um, and then I'm playing the Straight Pool event in Virginia, Pete Burroughs event. So, like, 10,000 first place, um, and then on to the U.S. Open, um, middle of October, and then the end of October the Kuwait Open, and then hopefully we'll stone it up. You've got a busy, busy life, don't you? How's yeah. your uh, how's your wife and kid liking that? I know you've been, yeah. taking, you've been taking them everywhere, haven't you? Yeah, I take them away a lot. I'm actually taking them to Europe. That's my, my daughter's second birthday, so we're going to go to Europe. Um, we're going to go to Europe for the, for her birthday, her second birthday, so we'll spend like 10 days over there, take on, spoiler, if she can have a good time. Nice. That's nice. Um, it's good that you can keep your family involved, because a lot of times, you know, full players, wives and kids get, you know, left at home and, you know, kind of don't see a whole lot of the dads. Yeah, I know that that's so, that's why I like taking them, you know. Let, let, me, ask you, let me ask you this. It's not uh, necessarily about pool, but it could be. Um, I, I hear a lot of stories. I know that the Europeans, the, well, the British crowd are a little bit brutal when they're on the road with each other. I've been uh, victim of some of Darren Affleton's uh, pranks and jokes and things myself. He kept. Mm-hmm. Taking, I was on the road with him, as you know, just not too long ago, and he kept calling the front desk and the maid saying that I wanted my room cleaned. Yeah. And so it's like every 10 minutes, I've got another maid showing up at the door, banging at the door, trying yeah. to, you know, clean the room. I'm like, what you, get out of here. And eventually so I told them, right? I called the front desk and don't send anybody back here ever again. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any do you have any funny stories or any stories about uh, Darren Appleton that you could share with us? Um I, we know about the shoe. We did we did the shoe one, him. yeah, uh, that's a bad one. I'll tell you a good story. We were playing golf. Um it was me, him, Chris Mellon, Boyd, Daryl Peach, we were all there, and we always play golf for the US Open all the time. And uh so he likes to gamble with, like, smelling, you know. Him and Chris always, like, they got like, needle with each other, who is the best, the best, and that, and that. And uh, so when we go play golf, we always let like, those two gamble. So they're, like, gambling with each other. And they, they're they okay, you know, but they weren't that great. we not long plates. We we think we're good. We all think we're good when we're first up <laughs> so we first start playing. So we get there, and we played a couple of holes, and we get to a par three. And me and Daryl Peach are playing together. So me and Daryl hit our shots and we get off and go to the next hole. Uh, Get to the hole, which is over the water. So we're over the other side waiting on Darren to um, hit his shot. And Chris is there. So Chris hits his ball and it gets over. Darren, he had 17 shots on a part three. (laughs) 17. 17 shots. And he kept going in the water. And I swear it was the funniest time ever. He, He walked. He walked, like, for the next, like, four holes and never spoke to anybody.
0: was just, like, <laughs> yeah,
1: it was so funny, honestly. He had to be there, really, to, to see the, his faces. Like, just be disgusted, you know what I mean? Not speaking to anybody and just, like, on his own. Oh, he's, like, 300 yards down the fairway and we're all, like, back at the other one, you know? It's just, like, a lot of different stories. I thought I'd share that one because I thought it was quite funny, but we got a few uh, other ones I don't want to share with you. <laughs> You, that you, you know, don't want to share? Yeah, that I don't want to share. <laughs> uh, so I thought, I'd share, I thought I'd share that little one uh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I know, it's, it's uh, that competitive. But yeah, it's, that's, that's it. The competitive, they, you know, they, it's like that when we play golf. It's sort of very competitive, you know. We're always, even when we're practicing at pool or... We're just messing around playing for or whatever. We always want to win, you know what I mean? You know, I, I tell you, it's funny because I, you know I've been around, uh, you know, some some of the greatest pool players that ever lived, and I'm always in the in a spot where if they're talking about pool, I really don't have a whole lot I can contribute. I can say my piece, but you yeah. know, when, you got to remember the company that you're in. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> We, uh, I went we were playing golf, uh, and it was Tim Davenport, Earl, Johnny Archer, and myself. Yeah. And at the time, I was going around in the low 80s, you know, consistently low 80s. And yeah. I was pretty proud of myself. And so I said, all right, come on, we, you know, we're going to go play golf. And I was stood on that first tee box thinking, you know what? Finally, I've got something that we can be around, that I'm going to be at a beat, man. There's no way these guys are all going to be able to play golf, right? <laughs> I mean, they're freaking pool players. They don't play golf. They play pool. I'm going around low ages. If I have a good day, I might get high seventies. Yeah. And so I was confident. I made a bet with uh, Kim Davenport. It was a little, a little bet. And Davenport gets on the tee box. It's at about 250 yards straight down the middle. I'm like, oh my god, that's pretty Mm. good. Well, it's at about 270 right down the middle. Johnny does the same thing. At that moment, I'm like, oh shit! This is freaking freaking great right here. (laughs) This is this was my moment. (laughs) This was my moment, man. Those guys all play pretty good. Yeah, they do. Good. and then uh, we got to I think it was the seventeenth hole, and I said to uh, Davenport, "I said, you know, let's 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 just double this bet up, you know, that we've got uh, if, if if I birdie this hole." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, "Okay, I'll do that," except I've been playing like dog shit. But soon as yeah, I just I got intimidated, and and I was just kidding. I was just like being trying to. Oh, I've just been messing with you this whole time. That's what I told him. This yeah. whole time I've been messing with you just to hold back for bass. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. Man, I hit, I crushed the drive. Second, uh, second shot, I'm two foot from the hole.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: And, and we get up uh, there, and, and uh, Davenport said, you've been working me. You've been working me. I'm not paying you. I'm not going to pay you because you just fucking hustled me. <laughs> and, anyway, so, and it's the best shot I've ever pl- played. Well, it's a birdie. It's a, it was a great shot. It was it was good golf. And anyway, so I make the birdie. We get to the clubhouse. Davenport's sulking uh, about it, thinking that it worked. Jim. And he said, "I'm not. Gonna, I'm not." Uh, I say, you, "You're not going to pay me?" He said, because I'm going to pay you. I made the bet. You dumbass." I want to pay, but it was the luckiest uh, hole that I had. That I, I was just bullshit, and I was just ready to give up some more money, I guess. But yeah, golf's a tough uh, team. Um, let's see. Um, sponsors. Do you want to mention your sponsors? And, yeah, uh, one of my sponsors are Community Tips, uh, Kings of April, Newt Hughes, um, dot com, my tattoo artist. Um Who else? Who else? Fulturi cases. CheekyO.com. dot com. Um, you like? how you like your Good. I use them. I use the drinks. I I use them all the time. My fridge is full of them. I got like <laughs> packs of them everywhere. All over my house. Um, I use them all the. T- I don't take the tablets. I just no. take the drinks, and I uh, I drink one. I, I I use them all the time. I drink them daily. Um. I use one, I take one an hour before my match, and then say I have a match later on in the day, I'll take another one an hour before my next match. Um, but I use them leading up to it, because you have to it's sort of like, you don't just take it and feel it, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's something it's, it's, you need to take leading up to what you're doing. Yeah, Darren, it's a sled while. No, no. I love it. I, I'm the same. I'm, I'm, I, I love them. Since I started drinking that stuff, I my mean, uh, my game has gone through the roof as well. My well, same. My my focus and my my energy levels. He got um, on the last trip that I went on. He got Archer, uh, taking yeah. It. yeah, Johnny. Yeah, and he was going. He said, "God, just try it. Just try it." And he's like, "These taste like crap, man. This is just the worst tasting thing." Mm. But all he ever drinks is. Um, mountain. Dude. Yeah, I know. Then so he all that sweetness and now you're taking a lot of that sugar out of it mm-hmm. or all of the sugar out of it. Uh, but by the end of the trip he's like, get me another one of those Czechos. Get me a Czechos yeah. down because we had a crib of them in the back of the van. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it seems, like, uh, it seems like it worked for a lot of people. I've seen other people not just uh, pro players, the amateur players who do well in the yeah. and stuff. So they got they got um golf professional golf players taking it and dark players and stuff like that. So they're getting well known, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, I love it, I love it. Great product. I'm sorry I interrupted you though, I apologize. Was there anybody else after you out that you um tom brake tips? Jump tips? They're from Finland everybody's using them, they're the best brake jump tips on the on the planet. Um, so... Shout out to them as well. All right. Um, and that's it, Billy. Really. Right. well, mm. you're doing really well, man. Uh, uh, very happy for you. Um, Appreciate it. Hopefully that you can make it there on the Moscone Cup. It looks like you've got a good chance, but you can never, you know, let up on it. Yeah, so. I know that. I know I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and just keep my mind set on what I need to do. And then the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah the, you know. that have got money. Well Yeah, that's it, mate. I'll the money. Those diapers aren't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. I appreciate right, you t- spending the time and uh good luck for the rest of the uh season. No problem, I appreciate appreciate you asking me to do this, mate. Really tough. No, no problem, buddy. I'll speak Thanks. to you soon. Okay, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Well that was uh, Jason Shaw. Um leading the points for the Most Cup and obviously having a a pretty good year uh, at at this point. He's improved his game uh, by calming down and then he said, you know what, maybe that was the point. Maybe he's calming down with those those checkier drinks that make him calm down. Gives him energy but he doesn't uh, give him the jitters. Maybe, Maybe that's what's going on. Who knows? But um, we appreciate you all listening. Hopefully you got some information, as usual, that uh, you can take it, take with you, and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, this is the Legends of Champions Report on American Billiard Radio, and this is Mark Cantrell.
0: Welcome back everybody. This is the portion of the program where we are covering a book by Mr. Willie Hoppy, 30 Years of Billiards, originally published in 1925, and we are on chapter 13. If you are not up to date with us, feel free to go back to the archives and uh, catch all the previous chapters. Chapter 13, Reminisces of the Paris Academies. The ivory balls used in France are a fraction of an inch larger than our billiard balls, and the cloth has a heavier nap. Otherwise, the playing conditions are substantially the same. It did not take me long to get my bearings and recover my stroke after the sea voyage, and when I stepped to the table one October afternoon for my first match against Fourneil, I was confident of giving a good account of myself. French billiard fans had turned out in force to see the young American in short pants, and there was quite a sprinkling of Americans in the gallery, too. By this time, I was thoroughly accustomed to playing before an audience, and the size of the crowd didn't bother me. More than anything else, I missed my father. I had played so long under his watchful eye that it seemed strange not to find him there at my elbow every time I sat down, to receive a stern reproof if I had played badly or a good word if I had done well. The match was close, but I managed to make a good showing. After playing 200 points of balk line, we changed the game, as is the French custom, and played three cushion caroms and red ball. The referee counted the points in French. une, deux, trois, etc., Along toward the end of the game he would say, et pour trois, meaning, and for three, et pour deux, and for two, and finally, et gagner, and he wins. Thus the game reached its climax and the referee dramatically gave warning when the finish was near. I had my first experience that afternoon with the French system of betting on the games. When the players are announced, the play the patrons sit around the amphitheater and are pro- and blah, blah, <laughs> excuse me. When the players are announced, the patrons sitting around the amphitheater are privile- privileged to come forward and place bets on their favorites. If one player is considered greatly superior, so that the betting on him is top heavy, the odds of the game are shortened to give the poorer player a chance, and this handicapping goes on until the public's judgment is equalized with the player's skill. A croupier presiding at the table takes all bets, and the odds are marked on a board on the wall. This croupier is a remarkable person. He never takes a patron's name or makes any elaborate memoranda, knowing most of the patrons by sight, he keeps track of all the bets in his head and he pays off with never never an error. If a newcomer should venture a wager, the coupier merely refers to him as Monsieur X or Monsieur Y, takes his money and the transaction is complete. His memory of faces is so good that he never pays the wrong man. It was the custom to stage Several minor bulk line matches at the Paris Academies early in the afternoon, but these were desultory affairs. The real activity commenced between four and five. At that hour, your Parisian sportsman is returning to the boulevards from the numerous race courses around the city, all of which are within a half-hour's taxi ride. He desires more action, and so he repairs to the, to the billiard academy. The red ball games, with three players entered, provided a quick and effective method of providing action for the, for the Boulevardier. The games were limited to 10 or 15 points and only lasted a few minutes. Betting was lively and the p- players received a percentage of the amount wagered on them if they won. The management also took a share. Red ball is a tricky game. You have to make all your points by striking the red ball first, then completing the carom on the white ball. Occasionally, one of the players would get a lucky streak and run his string out from the break, and the gallery would noisily demonstrate its enthusiasm. Then again, when a player would trip up on what looked like a simple shot with only one point to go, his backers in the gallery would groan in protest that they were being tricked, double-crossed, and swindled. You couldn't blame a fellow if he had had a bad day at the racetrack for being a little disgruntled when he saw his last handful of francs being swept away by the unlucky roll of a billiard ball, and their hisses were only a natural consequence. I can remember how Vigneault, The distinguished old Frenchman used to behave on those occasions. He would turn to the gallery, raise his arms, and throw back his huge head with its flowing mane of white hair, calling upon whatever gods lurked in the Olympia's dim, smoky ceiling to witness that he had done his best and hadn't missed the shot on purpose. Louis Cure, on the other hand, was never perturbed by hisses from the gallery. He would resume his seat and glare at the enraged Frenchman, as if to say, Well, what if I did miss? It is my privilege. What are you going to do about it? He was utterly impervious to criticism. As a matter of fact, the games were absolutely on the level. The players couldn't afford to become involved in any crooked work because the academy management and the public would quickly detect and denounce them. I had a tragedy of my own during one of those Red Ball sessions. One afternoon, two distinguished gentlemen came and sat down near the table. One of them called me over just before the Red Ball game started. Willie, he said, I'm an American. I've just bet $500 on you to beat the Frenchman. If you win, it's yours. I went back to my seat in a daze. Leonard Howison, another young American player, was standing nearby, and I said to him, There's a party over there who says he's just bet $500 on me, and he'll give it to me if I win. Is he kidding me? Leonard looked across the room where the two strangers sat. Hell no, he said. That's Charles M. Schwab, the big steel magnate. The other man is his physician. He means it. Go ahead and win. In the next few minutes, I had figured out all the things I was going to do with that $500. First, I was going to buy my father's, my father the finest meerschaum pipe in Paris. A diamond ring for my mother, some dresses for my sister, and a big yellow walking stick for Frank completed my shopping list. But when I stepped to the table to shoot, I found I could not even see the balls, much less hit them right. I lost the game by a lopsided score. I never did understand clearly just what happened or how I came to lose in an instant all the billiard instinct I had acquired through seven long years. I went over to Mr. Schwab and tried to apologize, but he slapped me on the shoulder and didn't seem to mind at all. I have the satisfaction of knowing that Mr. Schwab was present at another billiard match when I gave a better account of myself. He came to the Pennsylvania Hotel on the last night of the challenge match with young Jake Jake Schaefer in March 1923. Every seat was sold and the standing room space behind the gallery was jammed. But somebody at the door recognized Mr. Schwab and they found a place inside for him. Then he saw me play one of my finest matches of my career. That concludes chapter 13. On to chapter 14. By the way, um, before I go on to chapter 14, there's something interesting I want to tell you here. You're about to hear a story that involves a, a player from America, actually from San Francisco, whose name was Ben Sailor. Um, It just so happens that a few years ago, um, I want to say it might have been 2011, I was contacted by a young lady out on the west coast who was doing research on her family tree and it turns out that one of her great uncles was Ben Sailor, the very person mentioned in this story. So I was able to refer her to this book to find a really funny story about her great uncle so I think you'll enjoy this one chapter 14 temperament and pantomime among the American professionals playing in Paris that year was a man named Ben Saylor when conditions were just right he could play great billiards but he was more easily affected by trivial things than any billiard player I have ever known he didn't want the other professionals sitting in the gallery on the days that he was playing. The slightest untoward circumstances would upset his game. At one end of the Olympia Billiard Amphitheater was a backdrop painted to, re- to represent a garden scene, and down in one corner was a painted bench. Alvarez, a Spanish professional, had a stiff leg, it was a peculiar property of this leg that en- that enabled Alvarez to sit on it without requiring a chair or any other support. During his matches with Sailor, Alvarez, instead of, t- of taking his usual seat in the player's chair, would limp over to the painted backdrop and pretend t- to sit down on the painted bench, supporting himself on the hinge of his crippled leg. This little byplay would always distract the spectator's attention and throw Sailor off his game. One afternoon, Leonard Howison and I, celebrating a day off, climbed the little stairway leading to the gallery and seated ourselves in the topmost row of the benches to watch the game without letting Sailor know we were in the house. Alvarez had just finished shooting and had made his way over to the painted garden and was seated precariously on his imaginary bench. When Sailor walked to the table, he found his balls frozen to a side cushion. As he took his stance for the shot, we could see he was fuming to himself. He drew back his cue to make the preliminary waggle. The butt struck against the little railing that surrounded the the table, on which the wine glasses of the ringside spectators rested. Sailor had a fiddling stroke that seesawed back and forth for a good deal before he released it. Now, as he fiddled, every time he drew back the butt of his cue, it tapped the railing. Howison nudged me, and I began to giggle. We were both youngsters at the giggling age, and once we started, nothing could stop us. Sailor heard us and turned around. He glared up at the gallery. He glared at Alvarez, sitting placidly on his leg. Then he turned to the railing. Crash! With one sweep of his cue, he cleaned the board. Red wine, white wine, port wine, beer, bottles, glasses, and all went tumbling into the laps of the astonished French spectators. Howerson... Howison and I got up quietly and tiptoed down the back stairs. We went down to the Olympia Music Hall underneath the academy, where the Prince of Pilsen, translated into French, was playing, and spent the rest of the afternoon listening to musical comedy, but we didn't see anything half as funny as Ben Saylor's burst of temperament. Later, we learned that the management had Sailor apologize to all the patrons who had been drenched, and the house bought drinks for everybody. Alvarez won the game. Eddie Foy, the American comedian, was a familiar figure around the Paris Academies. An enthusiastic billiard player himself, he was on hand for every important match. They tell a story about a great contest between Frank Ives and Maurice Vignot played at the Olympia in 1892, before my time. It was the custom for the French spectators to occupy the tiers seats on one side of the table and the, for the foreigners to occupy the other side of the table. The French player would sit in a chair in front of his own countrymen and his opponent would sit across the way. Ives was not a temperamental player. It took a good deal to disturb his poise. But on this occasion, soon after the match began, he observed a strange commotion in the French gallery. While Vigneault was at the table, certain spectators were pointing over in his direction and whispering amongst themselves. Ives wondered what they were pointing at. Was it him? And if so, what was wrong? He had several turns at the table, but was unable to get the balls rolling right. Every time he took his seat, he would glance up at the French gallery. The agitation amongst the spectators persisted, and it, be- it began to get on his nerves. The whole French side of the audience was engaging and whispering, pointing and laughing. They seemed to be paying very little attention to the game. Was it a conspiracy to rattle Ives and throw him off stride? Finally, he chanced to turn around and look over his shoulder. Up midway in the American bleachers was Eddie Foy. He was carrying on a little billiard game of his own, imitating the old Frenchman, Vigneault. Every time Vigneault would toss back his lion-like mane of hair, Eddie would throw back his hair in the same gesture. And as the majestic Frenchman marched around the table, Studying the balls from various angles, Eddie, with great seriousness, followed his every action in pantomime. Ives caught the comedian's eye, smiled in recognition, and waved him to be quiet. The commotion in the French gallery ceased abruptly, and the spectators and players turned again to the game. It seemed that Foy had bet a substantial sum on Ives and was contributing his own talents to the distraction of the French player, but his little plot very nearly proved a boomerang. On that first trip the management of the Olympia arranged a Jeune Maitre tournament for the championship of the Young Masters, and that I won without the loss of a single game. It was intended to make it an annual competition, subject to challenge. But my contract expired soon afterward and I returned to the United States without being called upon to defend it. So in addition to various other titles, it happens that I am also the Jeune Matre, champion of France. That concludes Chapter 14. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you again next week right here on American Billiard Radio.